All right, I have a lot of scripture this morning. A lot. And I want to go through it. I want to, I want to actually take the time. So I'm going to ask you to be gracious with me as I read through a lot of scripture. And I'm going to tell you where we're going and you'll be able to follow along. But I felt that there's a, there's a moment that we have in time right now that is, is very interesting. And I feel like God is revealing stuff to us as we go along. He's revealing and highlighting and unlocking things for a time. I have been dreaming like I've never dreamt before. Like almost every night to the point where I'm like, God, I, I'm so tired. There's so much. Like this morning I woke up and Jess said, oh, did you dream again? I said, yeah. She goes, yeah, so did I. So she shares her dream with me and she's written it down. And then I said, oh, I had a dream, but it wasn't very big. And then I start speaking it. And as I start speaking, I was like, oh, my goodness, this thing is huge. And I had to write, it took me like 20 minutes to write the whole thing down. But God is speaking through a time. He's revealing stuff. And I, during the week I was doing some study through um, the Israeli calendar to understand what time it is we're, we're in there and I said last week that you know we, we can get really I think we can get really caught up in in um, Israel and the things that are happening there and I think that it's important for us to understand but I heard someone say something during the week which really challenged me he said that the Greco-Roman understanding the Greco or the Gregorian calendar that we follow is linear is A to B to C to the next letter that I've forgotten, E, D. <laughs> One step along the way, it's a line, it's a time that we understand, the way we understand time. But the Jewish calendar operates in seasons, right? Operates in a more uh, spherical, more sphere-type understanding of time, the way God operates. So we can't negate the fact that Jesus came back to a time and an era to speak to a particular culture and a particular people. We have to draw out of that culture, draw out of that people, out of that understanding. But given what Jesus came and did, he made Gentiles, all of us, become one with the Jews and brought us into one body, one family. We all become a royal priesthood with him. Does that make sense? But that doesn't take away the fact that things happen with inside the, the way the Jewish things take place, the way that they operate, the way they see the world, is the lens in which our scriptures have been written. So Josh, can you pull me back just a little bit, please? So we have to take these things into consideration. We have to at least take a moment to understand what it is that's happening and what it is that's taking place. Today, in the Jewish calendar, is the beginning of their new year. It is, a, it is a fresh season, a fresh start, a, a new beginning, and it's called Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, the beginning, the start of something. Does that make sense? So they now, in the time that they're in, are beginning their year. And one of the things that's interesting to me, I was saying to Bruce before we started, that is that they, in Rosh Hashanah, they, there's three things that they do. There's three um, uh, uh, rituals, if you like, that they actually take part in. One is called Tesuva, and it is the spiritual realignment, the returning or repentance, returning back to who God made us to be. The other one is the Tefillah, which is connection back to God through prayer. And the last one is the Tzika, and it's justice, to operate in the justice of God. So in this time, they operate in three things, repentance, 
prayer and justice. What God has been doing in us, in this community, and in a lot of communities here on the Gold Coast are those three things. Every time we gather here on a Wednesday morning, the predominant prayer is repentance of the people. Church leaders coming and just weeping. God, bring us back to you. Bring us back to you. Bring us back to the things that you've had. Return us to who you made us to be. The way the Jewish people understood it was that everything that had gone wrong throughout the year would be put aside and I would come back into your pattern and plan to step into the new year. So they would come with this picture of, Lord, you are bringing me into the place you want me. I'm leaving behind all of the past year, all of the garbage, all of the hurt, all of the things that that hurt me or that I hurt other people in, and I'm returning in repentance back to, your, back to you, back to your face. This is a new beginning, a fresh start the Jewish people understood. Who feels like we can we could do with a bit of fresh start? Eh? In a way, we don't have to wait for 2020 to end. There's a, there's a season, a spiritual understanding that these things are closing out as of this weekend, as of moving forward, that there's a closing over, a moving into a next season, moving in to the next things of God. While I was praying, I heard in my spirit God say, Jeremiah 36. So if you've got a Bible, go there, please. And I've been reading through Jeremiah, I said a few months, a few weeks ago, while I was on the treadmill at the gym, God put Jeremiah in my heart and I've been reading through, trying to just grapple with this challenging book, trying to understand what it is that's taking place. And while I was here, God led me to this verse and I had to read it a lot of times to try and work out what in the world God was saying. So I'm going to read a hefty portion of scripture just now. So if you can, just read along and, and it will make sense in the end, I promise. So Jeremiah 36 from verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So this is to the king of Judah. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So God's given Jeremiah a word for the king of Judah. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intended to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Barak the son of Neriah, and Barak wrote a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Je Jeremiah ordered Barak, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord, from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of the men of Judah who came out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that everyone will return from his evil way, for great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against the people. And Barak the son of Neriah did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Barak read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll 
in the house of the Lord in the chamber of, Jer- of Jemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. I'm going to jump down to 15 because it pretty much just goes through all the people that were there. He was in front of all the officials, all the important people, the who's who of of the, um, the, the religious times were there to hear this, what was going to be said. Everybody but the king was there. And Jeremiah, uh, sorry, and Barak said to him, sit down and read it. So, Barak, so Jeremiah says to Barak, sit down and read it. So Barak read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear. And they said to Barak, we must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Barak, tell us please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Barak answered them, he dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. And the officials said to Barak, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishamah, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. And the king sent Jehundi to get the scroll and he took it from the chamber of Elishamah, the secretary. Jehundi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter house. And there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jahandi read three of the four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words were afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elinathan and Delilah and Jeremiah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. The king commanded Jamil, the king's son, and Saria, the son of Azrael, and Shalemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Barak, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Barak wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll, write on all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burnt this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut it off from man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out of the heat by day and frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, that they would not hear. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Barak the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. What in the world is happening? God gives Jeremiah a word. Take this to the king of Judah. It is a brutal, difficult reality to understand. But the king of Judah needs to hear these words in order to change the path he's on to not enter into destruction. God was trying to get Judah, the prophet, to reveal to the king, you are going on the wrong path and if you stay on it, you're surely heading into destruction. This was a clear warning from God to reveal a path, to reveal a pattern of the enemy. Jeremiah, in his, in his wisdom, decides to take it even at the point of death. He says, we the people need to hear what's happening right now. 
And God, even for us now, God is revealing stuff to us that is difficult to hear. He's revealing stuff to us that is challenging and, and hard to step into. But God's saying, I'm revealing it to you for your sake. I'm revealing it to you to stop you from going on the path that's going to lead you into destruction. But what happens is the king doesn't like the words that get revealed. Before that, when Jeremiah, sorry, when Barak reveals the words to, to the officials, when he reveals the words to the people, with fear they look at each other to say, there's no way the king's going to hear this. So out of fear, they almost don't reveal the message of God. I've said many times, I feel like in this moment, Leaders of, of churches and us, the people, have to be revealing the reality of the moment and the season that we're in. We can't with fear shrink back and, and be patting each other on the back that God's trying to reveal something to us. I've had many, many slaps on the wrist in the last 6 to 12 months from God saying, this is not what I want from you. And it's difficult. It's hard. Pruning is not a good thing. It's not a... Sorry. Pruning is a good thing. It's not a fun thing to be a part of. It's not exciting, but it, it gets us to where God wants us to be. But verse 24 says, Neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all of these words were afraid, nor did they tear their garments. To tear their garments is to bring themselves before God. Job, when everything is turning over, Job brings himself and he rips his garments, God, everything. Have everything, even my garments. So when they go into, um, when, when, when Jonah goes into Nineveh and, and, and Nineveh gets turned around, they tear their garments. It was a sign to say, God, I hear what you're saying. I'm giving you all of myself, even the clothes on my back. Everything is yours, Lord. Everything I'm giving. But the king doesn't care because he feels I'm in the right place. I'm the righteous man. I know what's happening. And Jeremiah, you're wrong in this season. You don't know, Jeremiah, really what's taking place. I'm looking around uh, this city and, and this nation and I'm hearing people saying, no, we've, we've got it all under control. No, we don't. We just don't. Because God's only revealing things to us in increments. He's only revealing step after step after step. But he's saying there's a path that we have been on that if you don't get off it, you're going to lead yourself surely into destruction. You're going to lead yourself into the place where I'm not there. That's what God's saying. That's what God was saying to King Jehoiakim. Get off that path. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard to remove yourself, but you shouldn't have been out there in the first place. It's going to be hard to come back. But what happens is exactly what Proverbs reveals to us. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. And Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. We think we're right when we don't go and ask God what's really taking place. Our own ways seem right to us. Our own ways seem like we've got it all under control. I know who I am. I'm the author of my fate, but I'm not. Because I've come into a covenant with God where I say, God, your way is the way. You're the author of my fate. You're the author of all that I do, of everything that I'm stepping into. I'm giving myself to you in that. 
And I really felt as I was reading through this verse again and again, saying, God, what are you revealing to us in this time? Is that God saying in this, in this beginning, in this Rosh Hashanah, in this head of the year, in the start of a new season, you get to decide which path you're going to walk into. You get to decide which step you want to take moving forward. You get to decide, like the king got to, what do you want to do? But are you going to take those words and burn it in the pot to say, my ways are better. I know what this looks like. But I can't tell you what that is. I have to work, out, work that out for myself as well. God, what path do I need to be on? What place am I supposed to be in? Who am I supposed to be speaking to and how and what does that look like? But God, I want to know your way. If a word comes to me from you, I want to I want to stew on it. I want to take it. I want to wrestle with it. And trust me, I've had to do that. When you I've been submitting some of these dreams to Paul and Adam and when you submit a dream to somebody and you think it's something else, hey, I think I think Sean's in the wrong here and they go, it's got nothing to do with Sean. God's rebuking you. And you're like, "Oh, Actually, I don't want to submit this to you. You give that back. No, I then have to take that and I have to give it back to God and say, God, what is it you want in this? What is it that I have to change? What is it? What was it that was in my heart that you revealed was, was, was hurting me, revealed was hurting my plan and my path? Psalm 40 verse 7, David says, So I said, Here I am. I'm coming to you as a sacrifice. For in the prophetic scrolls of your book, you have written about me. God, and I've preached about this before, God has written books of destiny for all of us. We all have a destiny that God drew out for us when we were in our mother's womb. He says, before, before you were born, I knew you and I had a plan for you. So God has already written a plan for us. He's already driven and drawn a path for us into the things that he has. And at times, often, all of us step off that path. That's why we need repentance and we need rebuke and we need to, to be, be clipped and, and, and brought back on because often we step away from that original path that was given before we were even born. So our Christian walk, once we get saved, now starts coming to, God, where, where do you want me? How do, I, how do you see this happening? I've got something, something in the way. Which step do I take? What direction do I go in this? And God, like a father, leads us along that journey. He leads us and leads us and leads us. And at times he gives us the option. And at times he allows us, he, he says, you must go this direction. Right here in this moment, and I believe in this season for the church, the people of God, God is saying, you have to step back in to me. You have to step back on the path, back into the things that I have for you. Go with me to Genesis 25. While I was praying during the week and, and reading through this verse and asking God, what is it? that you're revealing, what is it that you are saying with Jehoiakim the king and with what Jeremiah reveals. And I felt God say to me, I'm giving my people a fork in the road. I'm giving my people a choice and a decision to make. 
And when you go back through the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, and then in and through the New Testament, you see time and time and time and time again where people of God are given a valley or a mountaintop. You see again and again the people of God given a choice to step in or step out. A clear one in that for the New Testament is is the rich young ruler. Jesus gives him a fork in the road. Come with me, but leave everything else behind. And I I love about that picture that seems is so brutal but, but so incredibly powerful is that Jesus doesn't chase the rich young ruler. He gives him the option. Come with me, but leave everything behind. And he watches, we don't get to see this, but the way I, I read it is he watches the rich young ruler turn and walk away. And he doesn't chase him. The prodigal son comes before the father. He says, give me all of my inheritance. I'm done. I'm going to the world. I'm going to have my path. He takes all of his things and he walks down the same long path that we get to read about him walking back up where the father runs to meet him. He would have walked out of that path as well with the father standing on the porch watching his son walk to his destruction, knowing full well, my boy, this is not going to go well for you. Give me my inheritance, but it's not going to go well for me. Give me my inheritance. Okay, but I'm not coming after you. He goes out, he squanders everything. And then that same long path that he walked out, the prodigal son walks back up and the father runs to meet him. God will let us make our own decisions even to our destruction. Because if he takes our free will, he removes love from us. He will let you squander everything and that's the most difficult thing is to watch Jesus have to stand there and go rich uncle I have so much more for you than the money you've got in the bank I have so much more for you but I can't I can't what I've got is too much but I've got everything but your choice the father You're going to have a horrible time out there. I can't. I have to go. I have to go and find out for myself. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, his brother Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, then swear it to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave bread, sorry, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and he went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We know the rest of the story. Jacob goes into his father, puts hair on his arms, pretends to be Esau, and he takes his birthright that Esau had given to him. But Esau comes in out of the field hungry because he couldn't catch any, any animals that day or that week or however long he'd been without food. And he sees on the bench the word, in some translations, the word says red, that he saw some red stew. Some say stew and some just say red because it, it was a word that, that, meant, that meant life source. 
in the, in the Hebrew understanding, the word was ha-adam. And, and the word ha means the, and adam means red. It was the red. It was what gave them life, sustenance to their body. We all know how angry we get when we haven't eaten in a while. Things tend to not go well. Many a time, Jess and I will go shopping. We've got to go get something to eat before we finish the shopping. Otherwise, we're wrestling over what she used to buy. But the food becomes our life source. The food is what gives us sustenance, what allows us to get through our day. And, and Esau comes through the door and he's hungry and he's angry and he sees this, this pot of life sitting on the table and he says, I want to get me some of that red stew. Give me some of that hot adam. Give me some of that stew and I need it. And Jacob, as clever as he is, says, then give me everything. Give me everything. And in his frustration, in his, in his hunger, in his depletion of food, in his desire for just the thing, he says, fine, take it. Just give me the stew. Take everything from me, but give me the stew. See, often, so often in our lives, we come to a place where we go, God, I need this thing right now. You don't understand. I need this right now. I need to do this. But you are giving away elements of your birthright you were giving away elements of your inheritance because you want to get a quick little pick-me-up a quick little stew it was just lentil stew it wasn't a delicious leg of lamb it wasn't a a, a, the back end of a deer it was bread and lentil stew who's ever done something that you know you shouldn't have done you know it's bad going in you know it's bad going in And the moment you finish it, the very moment you finish it, you go, it wasn't that good. McDonald's. McDonald's. (laughs) The moment you put that last bite in, that last bite, like I think this with KFC. KFC is amazing while you're eating it. That split second after the last bite, you feel like you're going to die. Like your stomach and you like curl over. The moment he would have finished that last bite of stew. I just gave everything. I just gave everything that I had. Everything that I was being called into. Everything that was in me, I just gave it away for some stew. We read this and we go, we go, Esau, you goose. Why did you do that? But then every day, every year, We give away, we give away, we give away, we give away. And God goes, you're losing your birthright. You're losing your inheritance. You're losing your inheritance. I called you into something bigger than this. I called you. And I can imagine God standing with Esau going, Esau, don't. It's just you. You're going to get another meal. You're going to get another meal. Don't, don't. And he reaches out and he takes the stew. See, this we are going through all the time. God is saying, I've got a better way for you. Yeah, but God, it's too hard. I'm taking the easy road. But God, it's too hard. I'm taking the easy road. God, it's too hard. That's what King Jerokathim did. Jeremiah, what you've just said to me is too hard. I'm taking the easy way. I'm burning the scroll and pretending it never happened. I'm burning the scroll and pretending it never happened. God has given all of us scrolls already written. How many of us at one point in our lives, I want to get a show of hands here and I'm going to put my hand up as well. How many of us in, in, up to the point in our lives now have been given a prophetic word that we truly believe is for us? 
at any point. Which means that God has given us a destiny into something he wants us to step into. He's given us a path and a, and a direction and a plan and a purpose that we haven't seen come to fruition yet that we're going, God, I don't understand. He says, keep walking with me and it will come when it's ready to come. I have been prophesied things over me that I don't even really want. It's not like I've been prophesied a big house and a big car. I've been prophesied things where I go, I don't know if I want that. But I still get on my knees and say, God, that stuff hasn't come true. But I know it was you. And he says, because keep walking with me and I'll bring it to you. Keep walking with you, me. Keep walking with me. Keep walking with me. Step with me and I'll reveal to you what it looks like. But don't, don't give it all away for a bowl of stew. Don't give it all up for something that is going to get you one day of sustenance when I've got something for you that is a lifetime and an eternity worth of sustenance. Everything we do in this world that we think we need is fleeting and will go away. But everything that God's given us, everything he calls us into is eternity bound. Every dream, vision, everything he's asking you to do, he's stepping you into is eternity bound. There's things that take place in our life that make no sense and we try to rationalize it with our uh, our worldly understanding when God's saying, but there's a spiritual understanding. It's just you. Flip backwards in Genesis to Genesis 13. Uh, 13 verse 1. Oh, just for the record, if you read, if you flip, go back and read Esau and Jacob, you find out what happens to Jacob after his trickery too, by the way. If you think that he got away with lying to his father, you find out what, what his pruning and his clipping is that he gets. It's not present. I wouldn't like that one. Genesis 13. 1 to 18. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it, but I don't know how to pronounce it, so it's Ai for now to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Prizites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me 
and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the land, then I will go. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the land of the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamah, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. There's so much in this verse that we have to understand. Lot and Abram were brothers. Well, they were they were nephews, but they were brothers in the in the spirit. I'm saying they're brothers. They were nephews and uncles. But they were partnering together and they both had a successful um, caravan. I don't know what else they call it. Like, a, like a, a, a party, a group of people moving together. They had a successful, um, it's called a caravan, but I don't know another word for it right now. Entourage, there we go. They had lots of, lots of men, lots of women, lots of children, lots of, of livestock, tents, money. They had everything they would have needed to move throughout the land. Both of them did two different households, but under the same banner, under the same family, the same covering, the same unit. And they come to a place where in that place, with everything that they have, they start to wrestle and, be, and begin to be angry and frustrated and, and unhappy with each other. In the place of everything, in comfort and in unity, they became disunified, ununified. Not in unity anymore. I'm, I'm quickly losing all my words. They became no longer unified together. On Thursday night, we were watching a documentary, um, Jess, Cat, and I. It's a, it's a documentary called um, A Sheep in Wolves' Clothing, and it's talking about the church in Iran and, and how powerful and quickly the church is, is picking up in Iran. And it, it's predominantly led by women and led in one-on-one to one-on-three, four groups of people, right? And one of the things that they said in this documentary, which actually boggled my mind, was that they said, we would rather, we would rather be bound up by tyranny so that we can freely express the gospel to one another. And freed by tyranny, she says, freed by tyranny so that we can express the gospel to one another than be bound up by the freedom of democracy where we can't express the gospel to one another. I like did a little pause. I did like the weird dad moment where I paused it and I was like, we need to just think about this for a second. Because that is mind-boggling. 
that they would rather be in a, in a country where they can lose their head for worshipping Jesus because it frees them more in the things of the gospel than to be in a country with democracy where we can freely gather together, yet we still wrestle to do that. In her mind, she was saying, we are actually more free than the people in the West because in the West, their democracy ties them down. At first, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, don't, don't agree. And then as she went on, and it's so hard because you're watching a black blur on, on the screen with a deep voice cover because they don't want to reveal who she is in case she gets in trouble. So you're listening to this like blurry smudge with like a deep voice say, it's better in the West, uh, in where we are. With, And I'm like, oh my goodness. But you see, you know what they have in those little groups of Christians? Absolute unity. Do you know why? Because they don't have everything. They, don't, they can't squabble over who's got more coins or who's got more this or who's got more that because they all don't have very much. They've got your brother across from you. Dan, I've got nothing else but you. We're just going to be mates. We're just going to talk about God. I don't care if your car's nice. I don't care if you can cook this better than I can or do this better than I can because we've just got each other. And if we get caught, we could both lose our heads. And actually for them, it's worse than that because they're all women. And, and the, the, the religion that they're fighting against is allowed to, to do awful things to them if they get caught. So they go into this knowing full well, full well, if we get caught, awful things. But there is no squabbling. There is no fighting. I look over the church in the West and we can't get it together. We're worshipping the same Jesus. We come under the same banner. We can all accept that he died for us, he rose for us, he is now seated in the glory. We can all accept that, yet we still can't manage to get ourselves together to worship him and glorify him because we struggle, because we're squabbling, because we've all got so much. But what happens in this is that, that Abram says to Lot, all right, Lot, I'll give you the choice. You choose. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to go left or do you want to go right? What does right stand for? Righteousness of God, the right hand of my sons is the right hand. The right is a prophetic understanding of the righteousness. And the left often is a, is a prophetic understanding of the world, of brokenness, of lostness. So if you're in a, in a dream, often prophets will interpret if you're supposed to turn right but you choose to turn left, it's because you, you've, which I've had a dream where I did that, you chose the wrong direction. You didn't turn toward the righteousness of God. You turned toward the things of the world. You turned away from what God was asking you to do. It doesn't always mean that, but it can mean that. But Abram says to Lot, which way do you want to go? Lot looks out over the land and he's looking for where there's more. He's looking for more than what he already has. And he says, in that valley, there's more water. In that valley, there's more that I can get. For my own personal gain, I'm going to go to where there's more. So he turns and he goes down into the valley and he camps his people at the gates of Sodom. Camps his people right there on the edge of the things of the world. And isn't it interesting that Abraham then goes, okay, well then what's left for me and my people is to go right, to go up into the next place where we encamp. And right as he encamps, God says, Abram, look out over all this. It's now all yours. So when Lot had his eyes on more, he went for more and he lost everything. Obviously, we know what took place at Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but Abram goes, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to turn the direction you want to turn. He says, here's more. Here's everything. 
because you're following me. It's all about me, the pursuit of who I am. And Abram says, God, I want to go where you are. We have at the moment, I believe so strongly, a fork in the road. And God is saying, which way do you want to go? Which way do you want to come? God is revealing through many different means through our own study of the scripture through through what what God's picking what sorry what we're picking up from what God's saying he's revealing more and more of this is who I am this is what I'm doing this is where I'm going to be and we now get to decide in a free will that we've been given the freedom to choose we decide where God am I to stand in this place will we go left and take the stew and settle and lose elements of our birthright, lose things that are in our inheritance, lose what it is God's calling to us? Or will we, will we pray and say, God, how do we turn right into your righteousness, seeking you, our eyes on you, stepping into who you are and what you have for us? How do we go that direction, Lord? Because that is where we want to be because that's where you're going to be. Don't burn the scroll that God's put before you. Don't throw away what God's written on your scroll because you can see the water. You can see the things that are out there. That's the challenge that God's giving me. That's the challenge that I'm, I'm asking for. And I believe that God is saying this. This is the challenge of the church right now. How do we position ourselves, Lord, for your glory, for your goodness, for who you are and for what you want. So why don't we stand? I just want to pray. And I just want to give a moment for us to, to come before God in this. I just want to offer a time for us to, if you want to come and do some business with God, talk through, come and lay on your knees or lay on your face. Love found <laughs> has been extraordinarily helpful. Then come and do that. If you want me to pray with you, I will do that. So come and I'll, st I'll stay standing out here. So come and just tap me. But as I've said so many times, this is, this is a journey that God's got us on. This is a, a pathway into more of Him. This is not a, a quick fix. This is a decision after decision. I, I will pray to break off whatever is stopping you from getting into that place. I'm happy to do that. But this is a decision that we make again and again and again and again. We ask for more clarity, more understanding, more drive, more purpose in this God. God is calling his people to more. He's calling his people not to, not to more things, but to more of him. He's calling his people into a position of, of longing for him, like the deer pants for water, a thirst that says, I need you, God. I need more of you. It's not I'd like some. It's, Lord, I need this. So I can just close our eyes. If you want to come forward, can do that now.
you feel like God's pressing you to come and just bring yourself before Him, then go ahead and do that. But Lord, we, we just stand right now. God, we give you everything. We give you all of who we are. give ourselves to you because you are worthy and glorious. Lord, help us break out of this place of of mediocre to break out of this place of sometimes Christianity, Father. Help us to come in as a people hungry and thirsty for you that desire you, that desire who you are, Lord, that aren't just looking for a culture in the Christian faith, but are looking for Jesus inside the Christian faith. God, I break off that cultural Christianity right now, Jesus, in your name. That are people not looking for a good church, not looking for a right something, but looking for the true reality of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Saviour, the Messiah, And God, I repent right now where we've made it about anything else other than you. Jesus, I I lay myself bare to say, help us. God, help us point people to you. Help us point people in your direction to reveal your heart, to reveal your plans and purposes, your kingdom, your will in this place, Jesus. Lord, strip from us anything in this place that doesn't help people see more of you. Lord, take anything that's self-serving from us right now. Break that spirit right now in Jesus' name of anything that makes it about me, of anything that makes it about my things and my stuff. Lord, we, we come against that right now, Jesus, in the authority and power of your name, Lord through the authority that you gave us on that cross, Lord, we break that. Lord, we come against tiredness in the people right now. Lord, myself and Jess included, we bring ourselves to that place where we break off that spirit of tiredness. We break off that lethargic zero energy right now in Jesus' name. Lord, teach us to come and rest by your waters again.